following lecture was produced by the Gnostic Academy of Chicago, a nonprofit organization, and is one of many available for podcast, download, and transcription. You can visit chicagonosis.org to find courses, articles, scriptures, commentaries, and other valuable resources that address a wide variety of spiritual subjects, interests, and needs. Through the generous support of listeners like you, the Gnostic Academy of Chicago has produced online courses, lectures, and articles freely available worldwide. If you have benefited from this knowledge, help humanity through making a tax-deductible donation at chicagonosis.org. If you are interested in attending the Gnostic Academy of Chicago in person, you may view our online class schedule and freely register at meetup.com slash chicagonosis. The Chicagoland Gnostic Academy provides humanity with the necessary means for transforming suffering and acquiring personal knowledge of the divine. With this purpose in mind, we now begin the lecture. May all beings be happy. So today's lecture is about spiritual self-defense, and it's the first in a course that will be ongoing about how do we defend ourselves from the various challenges and obstacles and attacks that we might face as we engage more seriously in our spiritual work. The most important question I want to begin with is what is black magic? For many of us who are new to this path, we hear it mentioned and it might evoke some fear or uncertainty. So I wanna clarify up front a simple, basic understanding of what we mean when we talk about black magic. Yes, black magic does include demons and individuals who are in physical bodies out there performing rituals and cultivating energy, whether through sexual practices or other rituals that we don't teach in our school specifically in order to be able to gain more power over other people and in the internal worlds. However, to clarify, the power that those people are gaining is fortifying their ego, which means that they will have power in the internal dimensions of the inverted tree of life, what we call the hell realms, the infernal dimensions. Our goal on the white path of initiation is to enter into the higher levels of consciousness, to enter into the divine and heavenly realms. And it's important to know that black magicians, as much power as they may have in the lower realms, do not have power in the higher realms in which the divine law reigns. Some say that in the hell realms, whatever is the divine law is inverted, meaning that what is against the law in the divine realms becomes the law, the mandatory law in the hell realms. So if fornication and adultery is against divine law, in the hell realms it is mandatory that everyone must fornicate, everyone must commit adultery. This is a basic example to give us an understanding. Additionally, we have to realize that all of us on this path are trapped between the two realms. 
we have a bit of our consciousness, which is free, which is longing for the divine, which is virtuous with many beautiful spiritual qualities. And we also have a large percentage of our consciousness that is trapped in infernal psychological states. It is that part of our consciousness through which black magicians can manipulate and control us. And so whenever someone is trying to control the will of others to steal energy from them by getting them to lust after them, to envy them, to worship them, whenever a person is trying to um, dominate others, confuse others, manipulate others, or hurt others, this is black magic. As you can tell with that general explanation, many of us at many points in our lives have used black magic. We've used our mind and our cleverness in order to try to manipulate or harm others. But at the same time, we have also tried to get others to lust after us or to be envious of us, um, to make others feel that we are better than them. These are all forms of black magic. And so while yes, we are looking out for black initiates, individuals out there who have actually been initiated into black paths and are working with black tantra, magical forms of uh, energy manipulation and control of the elements in order to gain power and steal power from others. Our biggest weakness when it comes to self-defense is that we ourselves are very egotistical and we are very easily controlled. The Buddha, Gautama, said that it is a man's own mind, not his enemy or foe, that lures him into evil ways. About a year ago, I was watching the opera Parsifal, which many of us know from the books of Samael and Beor, specifically the book Parsifal Unveiled. And in the particular rendition that I was watching, there was a powerful scene when Parsifal who represents the pure but foolish young initiate on a quest to save his Lord, has to enter into the kingdom of Klingzor, representing our egotistical foe. And Parsifal, once entering this kingdom, has to pass through a garden filled with beautiful and seductive women. Because of his purity of heart, he is not seduced by these women and is able to enter into the chamber in which he meets the temptress Kundri. And what happens from there, you'll have to watch the opera to learn the rest. But as I watched this scene, it struck me that Parsifal did not need any weapons to defend himself from these beautiful and seductive women because he in his mind was strong. If we have a fantasy in our own mind of an attractive man or woman, and then that person comes into our physical life, and begins to try to seduce us, manipulate us, get our energy or get us to lust after them, make us fall off the path, so to speak, we are very easily manipulated and able to fall in that case. But if in our mind we've already seen the truth of this person, we have no temptation towards lust for them, and then they come and approach us with the same lustful behaviors, in an attempt to seduce us, we have nothing to fear because it will be much more difficult in that case for them to 
be able to control us. Our best self-defense is cultivating the purity of mind, heart, and body that makes it impossible for any black magicians to be able to manipulate us. I think that this quote from Samuel Anveor in his book, Treaties of Revolutionary Psychology, sums this example up perfectly. He wrote, the best weapon that a human being can use in life is a correct psychological state. One can disarm beasts and unmask traitors by means of appropriate internal states. Wrong internal states convert us into defenseless victims of human perversity. You must learn to face the most unpleasant events of practical life with an appropriate internal uprightness. You must not become identified with any event. Remember that everything passes away. You must learn to look at life like a movie. Thus, you shall receive the benefits. You must not forget that if you do not eliminate mistaken internal states from your psyche, then events of no value could bring you disgrace. We need to know that in order to defend ourselves, our best weapon is to be conscious, to be awake in every moment, to be self-observing what is happening inside of us, and to be self-remembering our inner divinity so that we behave with internal uprightness. We behave according to our own conscience. This is not worrying about the morality or what others will think of us, but knowing in our own heart if we are doing what is right in God's eyes. And this is based on our own inner relationship with our own inner divinity that we cultivate through daily meditation and prayer. If you are meditating, you will have a better sense of what is a correct psychological state because in certain moments in one's meditation practice, one can access this. What is my psychological state when I am for a few moments free of ego? And then when I sink back into an egotistical state, when I become identified with some defect like pride or anger, lust or envy, what is the change that I witness there? Because if I am self-observing, then I know if my consciousness is truly free and being guided by divinity, or if my consciousness is conditioned by a certain egotistical element in myself that I still need to further comprehend and eliminate. If we break down this passage, which is filled with very deep wisdom, we see that it is possible for us to disarm beasts and unmasked traitors by means of appropriate internal states. This means that if we are awakened, if we are self-observing, have our consciousness active and free of ego, we can see exactly how another person might be trying to manipulate or harm us. And rather than reacting with anger or with fear towards this person, we can become conscious internally of what is the correct response in order to protect ourselves, to guard ourselves in this situation. When we have wrong internal states, we become defenseless victims of human perversity. 
if we have truly meditated in this tradition for quite some time, we are aware of the depths of perversity within our own mind, how often we wish to harm or control or dominate other people. And so we must have compassion for the human perversity that exists in others and be aware of it. The best way to protect ourselves is not to let our own lust or anger or pride seduce us into wrong behaviors. As I mentioned in the example before, if we see an attractive man or woman and we are cultivating a fantasy, a lustful fantasy of the day that they will come and talk to us or ask us out, and we are really putting a lot of energy, conscious energy into that fantasy, it is our own mind which has already set the trap for us. And when that person shows up in our physical life and begins to talk to us, it does not take much effort on their part in order to have a profound level of control over us. Many times in our lives, perhaps we've had our heart broken or we felt betrayed. And the other person may not even have willingly done so to us but it was our own mental state which set us up for that scenario. We have to recognize that as a consequence of karma, we have many ties to other people, and each of these will play themselves out. And we must accept that because we have done wrong in this lifetime and in previous lifetimes, we will suffer. But if we suffer consciously, and if we take those situations of pain, and we transform them into an opportunity to learn about our own inner defects, to cleanse ourselves internally, to respond with more love and strength of heart towards the difficulties of life and towards our problems with other people, we will truly become an initiate, a warrior on this path, which is what we need. It's a very difficult work. It's a work of a lifetime and not something easily achieved and not easy to follow through with. That's why these temptations come along in order for us to go to battle, to prove whether we are going to be defined for the will of God or whether we are going to fall fulminated at the feet of our own inner egos and defects. Temptations are a chance for us to purify ourselves. However, most of the time we become identified with an event. We look at other people, at our life situation, as very real and as something that demands for us to react to it with a lot of self-esteem. When other people come along and insult us, or when life is not going the way that we had desired, we get identified. We have a lot of pride that comes out and says, I don't deserve this. These people shouldn't be talking about me like that they're so much worse. Or this situation shouldn't be happening to me. I'm great and I've done all this hard work, etc., etc. This is becoming identified with an event. And we will suffer much more through that identification. It's much better to take a step back, to calm down, go for a walk or do something that calms us down and then enter into meditation. Separate from our identification with the event and reflect on it serenely, allowing God to show us not what's wrong with the other person or what's wrong with the situation or how can I change other people in situations to make them more the way that I want them to be, but rather 
what is it in me that is incorrectly responding to this circumstance? And by understanding ourselves, which is truly the only thing that we can change, we will be able to find more peace. We will be able to radically change inside. And as we change inside, we know that the outside world will begin to reflect more and more our inner level of being. This is a process of alchemy, of transmutation, radical transformation of oneself from darkness, unconsciousness, and egotism into light, selflessness, and consciousness. Unity with divinity. That's what we are doing. We are taking a heavy base metal like lead and transforming it into the purified gold of the spirit. And this is a long work. Events of no value, such as an argument with someone, which in the moment feels very serious and very real and causes a lot of anger in us, can bring us a lot of disgrace if we respond with that anger. However, if we transform that state, we feel peace with the situation, we accept it, we express kindness or compassion for the other person involved, then that event passes away. Everything passes away is what Samuel and Vivor is writing here. If we keep that in mind, no matter how much we burn in the moment, we can find a rope to hold on to, a continuity of consciousness so that we do not lose our integrity over an event of no value. Most importantly, in maintaining the purity of our state of mind and of our soul is chastity. For anyone who's been in this doctrine for some time, you know that we speak repeatedly about chastity as the renunciation of orgasm and the practice of sexual magic with one's spouse or the practice of pranayama to transmute one's sexual energy in a pure way for single people. Chastity is our covenant with God. And when we break that covenant, we lose the divine protection which that covenant grants us. It's a very serious covenant to make. And I recommend that when you make that choice to commit to chastity as part of your spiritual practice, as part of your life, that you don't go back on it, that you fight with all of your being to preserve that chastity. Because when one falls, depending on the severity of the fall, the consequences are very severe. So we have to be very serious about chastity when we take that step because it offers us a lot of protection. What chastity does is it strengthens our inner connection with our inner father, what we call the innermost, related with Hesed on the tree of life in Kabbalah, and with our divine mother, both of whom want us very much to succeed. This doesn't mean that difficulties will never happen to us because of course we have karma and because we need to face our karma in order to develop our soul and to become strong souls, to purify ourselves. But it does mean that we will have the comfort of the Holy Spirit with us in those moments because our sexual energy is our direct connection with the Holy Spirit. 
And when we are transmuting and raising that energy up the spine and conserving it in our body without ever letting that energy out, we are creating a hermetic seal in which our connection with God becomes stronger and stronger and is never broken. Years ago, when I first took this step, I was seeing in a vision in meditation practice, God's covenant with Abraham. And I realized that this symbol is about our sexual chastity. If you're familiar with the story from the Bible, God makes a covenant with Abraham that his seed will be as numerous as the stars. And this covenant is made because Abraham, at the time named Abram, was lamenting that he was childless. This is our situation. We want to give birth to the soul. We don't want to be just an essence, just the seed of a soul. We want to give birth to that child, that Christ child within our own soul. And so we go to God and we pray, give us a chance to achieve this work, which is very sacred. And God says to Abraham that he must perform a sacrifice, an animal sacrifice. And Abraham does so, cutting the animals in two. Sometimes this is known as the covenant of the pieces. For us, it's important to realize that the sacrifice of the animal is the sacrifice of our own ego. All of those drives that cause us to become identified with situations in life. Lust, anger, hatred, pride, gluttony, greed. All of these animal defects in us, which are constantly controlling us and causing us to perform wrong actions that create more and more problems for us and for others. This is what we must sever. And of course, the greatest example of the animal instinct is lust. And when we commit to chastity and we renounce orgasm, we are severing our tie with that animal. We are taking the animal instinct and we are taming it through sexual magic or through pranayama, if you're a single person. And we are transforming that animal into knowledge, into the power of God the willpower of God, and this work takes time. Also, the covenant that God made with Abraham required that all of his children and Abraham himself become circumcised. Obviously, this is a symbol of chastity. The circumcision, while yes, it is performed literally and physically, is truly about circumcising our own mind, our own animal instinct, and becoming pure in the way that we approach sex and sexuality. This takes time, and I recognize that preserving chastity is a challenge for many people, but it is the most important front in which we begin to define ourselves. That's why I listed here that we must master self-control. If you are tempted in a moment to look at pornography, or to engage in some lustful fantasy of a person, to engage in behaviors that you know are directly counterproductive to your spiritual work that you are attempting here. You have to develop ways to control yourself, most importantly, to control the mind. We often describe the mind as a donkey, which must be whipped and controlled. This doesn't mean to repress and to beat oneself up. 
but merely in the beginning, find a way to redirect your mind. If you're at home and you have access to things that will feed your lust, get rid of them or go for a walk or read a spiritual scripture, find a way to control yourself. And later on, when you have calmed down, enter into meditation. And without becoming identified with what you are meditating on, pray for your inner divinity to help you to keep your covenant. If you cannot control your own mind, then of course you are at great risk for black magicians or demons to control you. When we engage in orgasm, we are opening up the doorway into the infernal worlds and we are allowing lots of negative atoms into our inner bodies. So energetically, emotionally, mentally, we are filling ourselves with toxins and weakening our ability to be strong in our chastity. So that's why we have to be very serious on this point and why I put it so early on in this lecture. This is really the foundation of our work. And this is the way that people are so commonly swayed into the black path. In many of the schools of black magic, they preach virtue and godliness and purity and many of the same things that we teach in this school. But the defining difference between a white path and a black path is the orgasm. Samalan Vior says that if you're ever awakened internally in the astral plane and you believe that the person, the master who is talking to you may be a black magician to ask them what they think of chastity, what they think of renouncing the orgasm. And without fail, if the person says to you that orgasm is good or orgasm is okay, then you know that this is someone of the black path and you need to protect yourself. We will get into ways of how you can protect yourself in an encounter like that in a few moments. But the seriousness of preserving chastity just can't be overlooked. Temptations come along to force us to define ourselves. If you fail when you're facing a temptation, learn from it. All of us fail when facing temptations but this is not an excuse to give up or to just continue in bad behaviors. If we fail, we should feel genuine remorse and we should meditate seriously on that circumstance or that failure, praying to God with our whole heart day after day for comprehension and really creating the circumstances in which that comprehension can come to us by meditating and separating ourselves from bad influences. Additionally, even when we can physically preserve our chastity and maintain that in our physical lives, sometimes we are attacked internally and we may be seduced, whether by men or women in the internal planes. And this can cause us to lose our energy, what we refer to as wet dreams or nocturnal pollutions. This can happen for both men or women. So if you wake up and you know that you have experienced an orgasm or a wet dream, there is a remedy that you can make, the melon drink remedy. And I have a link to it in the resources that I mentioned earlier. 
also at the end of this presentation. So that link has a beautiful video which illustrates exactly how to make that melon drink and to continue to make it until you are able to recover from that. So if this happens and you lose your energy, continue to transmute, continue to practice pranayama every day, do runes every day. If you feel that you have a very fiery sexual temperament, you may need to perform runes in addition to pranayama. There's no limit on how much pranayama you can do. You can perform as much of it in a day as you need to. So if you're feeling particularly tempted, go outside, go for a walk, take a break, come back and perform pranayama for as long as you need until you're calmed down. Okay, so this bit about knowing the conjurations is really your homework. If I were to give you an assignment on how to protect yourself, it would be to begin today memorizing these conjurations. Choose one, pray it every night before you go to sleep, and whether you have written it down or you're reading it, the more that you pray it, the more familiar you will become with it. And just as you had to memorize things in school, some of these conjurations will be a little bit difficult to memorize at first, but it is possible. And truly of all the ways to defend yourself, memorizing these conjurations is one of the easiest and most valuable to do. Now the first one that I've listed here is not exactly a conjuration, but more a mantra for protection. Klim Krishnaya Govindaya Kopijana Vallabhaya Svaha. There are videos related to all of these mantras and conjurations at the end in the resources section. So as I mentioned before, I'm not going to go in depth into every resource, but give you an overview of where you should be looking. And then you will be able to refer to the videos and the articles on these very powerful prayers in order to understand the true depth and meaning of each one of them. Now, Klim Krishnaya Govindaya Gopichana Vallabhaya Svaha will project a pentagram, a flaming star in the astral plane. This is also a mantra that you can repeat in your head internally, mentally, whenever you are feeling threatened in the physical world. Sometimes during the day, I don't feel threatened by other individuals, but I feel that my own mind is becoming sleepy or perhaps angered by a situation. And so in order to conjure my own mind, I will use this mantra mentally. No one else knows that I'm doing it, but it truly helps me to focus. And I notice more brightness of consciousness coming in as I use this mantra. It's very helpful. So while it may sound a little complicated to memorize at first, it's one of the easier mantras that can really be helpful in many, many moments. Additionally, with all of these mantras, which are often in other languages, <clears throat> such as Hebrew or Latin, it's okay if you are mispronouncing them. Yes, the videos give us an opportunity to know how they should be pronounced, and there are some audio clips as well of one of the other instructors pronouncing them. But what's most important is the sincerity of your heart and prayer, your inner connection with divinity, your purity. So don't get caught up over whether or not you're mispronouncing it. There are some conjurations which I realized I was slightly mispronouncing a word for some time, 
and then I corrected it. But even before correcting that mispronunciation, they still brought a lot of force and power. So don't let the mispronunciation piece become a barrier for you. Next is the conjuration of the four. This refers to the four elements, and this conjuration is used to reject all of the legions of demons, which can manipulate the elementals in order to attack us. And so this is usually the first conjuration that one would say before going to sleep at night. Additionally, after completing the conjuration of the four, one would then say the conjuration of the seven. This conjuration invokes the seven archangels in order to reject the seven arch demons. And so for demons which are more powerful and not able to be rejected with the conjuration of the four, we can use the conjuration of the seven. And finally, the third prayer that one would use before going to sleep would be the invocation of Solomon. <clears throat> so with these three, we can protect ourselves before we go to sleep and enter the astral plane. The invocation of Solomon actually works with the entire tree of life to be able to draw the forces of God to protect us. In addition to these, one of my favorites is the Fons Alpha et Omega. This is actually a variety of mantras combined into one conjuration, and it's very powerful for rejecting negative forces. It also can help us to penetrate the meaning of a dream or a vision. So you can say it when you're sitting to meditate and asking for greater clarity on an experience that you've had. This conjuration can be used to mirror back the attack that someone has directed at you. So we have heard it said that one who lives by the sword falls and dies by the sword. If an individual is directing harm towards you and you use the Fons Alpha et Omega, this actually will redirect that energy back at the creator of that conjuration. So in that sense, we must be very careful that we are not trying to use these prayers to harm anyone, but are keeping compassion for the ones who might be attacking us in our hearts whenever we are using them. Finally, there's a song that we can use before bed, which many like, which can invoke the angel Arok. So Belelin is a song which we must sing as we are falling asleep, and the angel Arok will come to protect us and be with us. All of these prayers that I mentioned on this slide are in a Gnostic prayer book, which is sold on the Gnostic store on GnosticTeachings.org. As well, I've linked the Gnostic store and a Gnostic prayer book in the resources section of this lecture, so that if you want to find copies of these prayers and have them all in one place to be able to memorize them, you can do so through that book. So we will use these conjurations a lot in protecting our home and our body. And that's why I felt it was important to assign it to all of you as homework, that you really need to be memorizing them one at a time. And if you only have one memorized, go ahead and start using it all the time when you're praying. If you're walking around through the day and you're trying to strengthen your self-awareness, you can repeat that conjuration in your own head to give you strength of consciousness and to reject your own ego, your own defects within.
Additionally, in our home, we want to include pentagrams. So a pentagram can be drawn with a charcoal pencil, which is something that did not leave a permanent lasting mark on the floor, if you're worried about that. We also have some wonderful pentagrams, which are very affordably priced on the Gnostic store as well. So I've linked the Gnostic store in the resources section for those who would like to buy them. A pentagram should be placed on one's altar. And I'll talk a little bit more about the altar. In addition to the altar, we should have a pentagram above our bed where we sleep at night. And we should also have a pentagram at the doorway of our bedroom. And when you place a pentagram in a doorway, you want to put the two feet facing out of the door so that if you were to stand that pentagram up on its two feet, it would be standing in the doorway. If we mistakenly reverse that, then we would be summoning negative forces into the bedroom. So it's very important that when you place it on the floor, you have the two feet facing out of the bedroom and the top point facing into the bedroom to reject the negative forces. In addition to this, we have clear pentagrams, which you can place in windows. Um, some people as well like to place a pentagram in front of the doorway to their home. So again, with the two feet facing out of the doorway and the top point facing into the home, you can cover it with a rug if you're not wanting any visitors to see it. Clear pentagram stickers can also be great for your car if you want a little bit of extra protection there. A lot of those are optional, but the three main ones that we stress that someone before indicated are to have a pentagram on your altar, in the doorway of your bedroom, and above your bed. Now, I recognize that not everyone has their own personal space in which they can be displaying pentagrams, in which case I advise you to do what you can with all of the practices and techniques and strategies that I'm giving in this lecture. And if it's something that's not possible for you because of your relationship with your roommates or significant other, then choose other ways to protect yourself. You don't need to do all of these. I advise all of them as best practice for those who are able, but of course, I recognize that not everyone will have the opportunity to do so, and that's okay. If you do choose to draw the pentagram with charcoal, again, it's important that in the doorway you have the two feet facing out of the door. In addition to the pentagram, we would like to create an altar. An altar is a space where we can pray and meditate do our conjurations at night. And this is where we can cultivate a lot of spiritual force. We can do runes there and practices, whatever we feel is our sacred practice in order to strengthen our connection with divinity. It's great to have an altar. This can be a plain table. Um, it doesn't have to be something elaborate, but it is a wonderful thing to do if you have the opportunity. So to give you a little more context on this altar, I'm going to read directly from one of the resources that I linked. Here are the basic elements for a Gnostic altar. A Gnostic altar should be a table or stand of some kind, covered with a fine cloth, usually white. Some even cover this with glass. 
While you can make the altar from anything humble and inexpensive, the best altar will be made from scented wood, such as cypress, cedar, sandal, etc. On the altar, you should also include a copy of the Gnostic Bible, which is the Pista Sophia Unveiled by Samal and Vior, representations of the four elements. So this could be a continual light to represent the fire that always illuminates. Traditionally, this would be a candle or oil lamp, but in modern times, due to safety, you can use a small lamp or night light. However, during prayers, rituals, or meditations, candles can be safely and effectively used. So this represents the element of fire. For the element of water, you can have a bowl or a glass of water. Keep this water clean, so you may need to refresh it over time. To represent the air, you can have a feather. And to represent the earth, you can have flowers, a stone, or something else of significance for you. Some people like to have a dish of soil. In addition, on one's altar, we would include a pentagram, as was already mentioned, and we would use perfumes, incenses, or scented oils. I highly recommend that you use incense regularly. This draws a lot of positive forces into your home and it rejects negative forces. So <clears throat> while we can, of course, um, use incense, if you are worried about the scent or you have a partner who does not enjoy the smell of incense, you can use essential oils. You can find a diffuser in which you can mix a few drops of essential oil with water and diffuse that scent through the home. Or you can, of course, put the essential oil directly on your skin um, in a small amount. With essential oils, we recommend therapeutic grade. A lot of essential oils that are cheaper on the market have been diluted and are not pure quality. So therapeutic grade is really the best that you can get when it comes to essential oils. In addition, when we're trying to cultivate a spiritual atmosphere in our home, we want to have images, sacred images, like images of the Buddha, Christ, or any type of religious or spiritual master that really inspires you. This can be really powerful. And these, of course, can go on one's altar. You can put other sacred scriptures like the Quran, the Bible, the sutras. You can put sacred symbols like the cross or the menorah. And sometimes people like to include a symbolic blade, sword, or knife to represent the psychological work to cut through the illusions of our own ego. In addition, Samuel Anvior wrote this about the home of Gnostic initiates. The home of Gnostic initiates must be full of beauty. The flowers that perfume the air with their aroma, beautiful sculptures, perfect order and cleanliness make of each home a true Gnostic sanctuary. This is from The Perfect Matrimony. And in the yellow book, he again emphasized that flowers, perfumes, symbolic pictures, and beautiful music contribute to creating an environment filled with wisdom and love. When we talk about beautiful music, we're talking primarily about classical music that elevates the soul, not popular music of nowadays. In addition to be able to protect one's home, there is a prayer that one can do with the aloe plant. Again, this prayer is um, written down in the Gnostic prayer book. I believe it's also an igneous rose. 
So the prayer to the elemental fairy of the aloe vera plant is beneficial in order to protect against negative forces. Every Gnostic home should have an aloe plant. Use this prayer to invoke its assistance. Cross, thou art holy and divine. Sorcerers and witches, withdraw from this home. Such persons who intend to arrive here, let it be known that I am with God. Sovereign God, set me free from treason and from ruination. Blessed be the most holy Mary and the consecrated host. After you say the prayer, bless the aloe plant with the sign of the cross. Similarly, there is a ritual for a maguey plant that is very powerful to cut one's ties with the Black Lodge and to be able to um, conjure or reject any forces from a direct attack if a person, if you suspect that a person is attacking you internally. And that prayer can be found in the book, The Divine Science, if you're interested in learning about that. Mustard seeds can be used to protect us from psychic attacks. So you can purchase online small, tiny jars with a cork to put in the top. And then mustard seeds are available, again, from the Gnostic store. You fill four little jars with mustard seeds and you place them in the four corners of your home where they'll be able to create a sort of force field in order to protect you from psychic attacks. This can be helpful if you feel that um, when you're sitting down to practice or as you're falling asleep, you're being attacked psychically. And finally, the circle of protection is very powerful for protecting one's home and can be done every night before going to bed. If you're living in a home with other people, you can also perform the circle of protection directly around the room in which you sleep. If you get up in the middle of the night and you leave the circle, for example, to use the restroom, then come back in and draw the circle again before you go back to sleep. So the circle of protection can be drawn by circling the room three times with a sword, which again is an item that some keep on their altar, a sword or a blade or with the sword of one's own imagination. So when I do this mantra, I will chant the mantra, Helion, Melion, Tetragrammaton, three times as I'm imagining the fiery light circling around my room. And this mantra, along with that entire practice, can also be found in a Gnostic prayer book, which is linked at the end. Now, to protect one's body, you can wear a pentagram. Pentagrams I've seen available in ring form and also in a form of a pendant, which you can wear around your neck. Those pentagrams have to be consecrated through a ritual that I've linked again at the end in the resources, so you can find more information about that. If you're interested in buying one of these metal pentagrams, we have some contact info for someone who makes them and seals the metals on the back of a gold pentagram. And you can contact us at help at chicagognosis.org if you're interested in that. However, if you're not able to buy one of these nicer pentagrams, then you can go and buy a simple silver or gold pentagram, and that should be helpful as well. In addition to wearing a pentagram, you can put sulfur in your shoes. If you're going to a place, for example, a bar or restaurant for 
a work event or a family event that you feel you need to be present, um, then you can put sulfur in your shoes and this will help to keep astral larvae off of you and negative influences um, so that you'll be able to stay um, cleaner, psychically speaking, throughout that um, day. And of course, each day you might want to put sulfur in your shoes, especially if you live in a big city. The Eucharist is a very powerful ritual which can be performed using bread and grape juice as symbolic wine every day after you finish transmuting your energy. So if you're a couple, you can perform this ritual after sexual magic. And if you're a single person, you can also perform this ritual after you are transmuting with pranayama. This is extremely powerful in awakening your consciousness. This ritual is actually invoking atoms of Christ to come into your system and to protect you, not only from forces outside of you, but also within you. I can't recommend it highly enough. And so that as well is linked in the resources section of this. The microcosmic star, we have an excellent video which demonstrates how you can form the pentagram, also known as the microcosmic star, with your body to invoke the Holy Spirit to reject negative forces. And this can help you to protect your physical body. And finally, juniper berries are a way that we can protect ourselves from contagion. I think that in a time like this, this is particularly relevant. So one can chew on juniper berries after blessing the berries and praying that, um, that they will protect one from any contagion. And so if you bless the berries each day, that's sufficient. Another great way to purify your home and your body is with a spiritual cleanse. The most common is a sage smudge. You can see it pictured here on the background of this slide. The sage smudge can be bought on the Gnostic store, in any metaphysical bookshop, and even Whole Foods sells sage. So it's pretty common, and it's a good way to come home at the end of the night after being out and about in the city or at work, and to be able to pray the conjuration of the four and the conjuration of the seven while you bathe yourself in the smoke of the sage. So you can light it, begin to pray, and bathe yourself in that smoke by moving the sage smudge around your body. You can put out the sage smudge in a small bowl of sand, and then you can use it again the next day. Camphor is also an easy way to purify your environment. You can buy camphor incense sticks, and you can burn them. This is a great purifying incense. If you burn them around your home whenever you feel that the energy is becoming a little bit too dense, a more powerful cleanse can be done with rue, sage, and mugwort. So these three herbs you can buy online or in a metaphysical bookshop. You would probably need to use a mortar and pestle to be able to grind them up into a powder. And from that point, you would use a charcoal sensor, which is a small, usually in most cases, a small iron pot into which you can place a small, hot, burning charcoal. After a few minutes, when the charcoal is heated up, you can place a little bit of the powder of the rue, sage, and mugwort mixture onto the charcoal. You can go around your home using the conjuration of the four and the conjuration of the seven 
trying to move the smoke into the shape of a cross in order to purify and bless your home. I've heard it recommended that when you move into a new home, you can perform this cleanse for 14 days after moving in. And then again, every 14 days or every month in order to keep the impurities out of your new home. You can also burn sulfur if you're leaving for a few days. This is one of the most powerful cleanses. However, it's very dangerous to breathe sulfur in. So if you do burn sulfur in your home, make sure that you're going to be away for at least the rest of the day, if not for a weekend, and to keep a window open so that some of that smoke can get out of the home. If you breathe sulfur in directly, it is toxic and can harm your lungs. So be very careful with that. If you'd like to use sulfur in another way, you can take a little bit of sulfur powder, mix it into your warm bath, and bathe your body into that sulfur bath and be able to purify your body in that way. Additionally, there is an egg cleanse. What you can do is you can use, begin with one egg and you can use two or three if you feel that you have a lot of impurities to remove. And you want to rub the egg around your body in circular motion. All the parts of your body, your head, your arms, your legs, etc. And as you are using this egg, you are praying to your elemental advocate to work with the element of the egg in order to suck all of the toxins and impurities out of your internal bodies, your astral body, your mental body, your vital body. And then that egg, which is very gelatinous, will actually suck up the toxins from those inner bodies. And you should throw the egg onto a fire to destroy those toxins and expel them. Some Gnostics like to say that the louder that your egg explodes, the more toxins that you had within you. So that can be an interesting twist on that cleanse as well. So as you might have noticed with many of these cleanses, you are going to be using the conjuration of the four and the conjuration of the seven. If you don't have those memorized, you can try to use another conjuration as well. In addition to all of these practical steps that we can take to protect ourselves, we should also be very aware of our relationships and our environments and what types of elements we are inviting into our environments and into our relationships. So natural and religious sites can have a pure psychic atmosphere. This is what I find when I visit very old churches or temples. For those who were at the retreat in the Buddhist temple, I'm sure you're aware of the very elevated conscious atmosphere of that place. Nature as well. Some say that God's temple is nature. So that can be a way to purify your mind, to purify your heart, to get away from the city for a little bit if you live in a crowded place, and to be able to invite some of those higher vibrations into your life. Being aware that those environments are positive and healing and can be good places to visit on a regular basis. Conversely, places like bars, clubs, cinemas, cemeteries, etc., attract astral larvae. So, astral larvae, we say, are like little bugs that will latch onto you and suck away your energy. 
they're attracted to a lot of Gnostic students because we are conserving so much energy through our transmutation practice. You can say that on the astral plane, we are glowing like candles with the amount of energy that we're conserving. And that's why the more serious you are in your chastity and in your practice, you may attract certain attacks. If you go to places like this, because you're unable to avoid them for some reason or other, put sulfur in your shoes and cleanse yourself with, with sage or another form of a cleanse as soon as you get home, if possible. This is the best way to uh, try to keep your inner bodies clean if you're exposed to those types of places. But if possible, just try to avoid them altogether. Additionally, we don't recommend seeing spiritualists such as mediums, people who communicate with the dead, hypnotists, fortune tellers, and people of that ilk. These types of people, even if they have good intentions, are many times letting in negative forces. Channelers as well come to mind. So while these people may think that they're communicating with positive entities and beings and talk a lot about Jesus or positive energies and things like that, much of the time they unfortunately are being manipulated by other entities that are not so kind entities that actually want us to fortify our desire rather than to become free from desire and to guide ourselves internally with the guidance of our own inner divinity. You don't want to put your own mind and consciousness under the influence of another person. So if you go to a hypnotist, that's exactly what you're doing. Hypnosis means sleep. So we don't want to go and give someone else control over our mind. We want to develop the strength of our own soul and consciousness so that we can go and investigate any questions that we have internally with the help of our inner divinity. We can pray and beg to our being to take us to find the answers that we need. I don't recommend going to places like that because interacting with individuals like this may expose you uh, to negative entities which can come internally and attack you. More commonly, you should um, use conjurations mentally if you feel attacked. So I mentioned before using the mantra, Klim Krishnaya Govindaya Gopichana Vallabhaya Svaha, whenever I feel a little bit uneasy um, with my own ego manipulating me. But also if you feel that someone else is trying to manipulate you or confuse you or dominate you, you can try to center yourself in your being and you can be able to use that conjuration to protect yourself. It's really, really important that you're not using conjurations out of fear or anger. We should be trying to use these conjurations out of compassion for the ones who are attacking us. People who are trying to control others many times think that they are doing what is right, that they are benefiting other people. And so we have to have compassion for their level of being and for the harm that they're causing. This individual who is attacking someone is cultivating a lot of bad karmic consequences, things that will come back to hurt them in the future. And so we have to really have compassion for them. And by protecting ourselves, we are actually preventing them from cultivating more negative consequences for themselves. In addition, 
we should try to develop relationships with morally sound people. So these don't have to be necessarily spiritual people. I know many people often complain that they don't have enough spiritual friends who are into this. What's really important is that you have people in your life who are living with integrity, who are honest, hardworking, exemplify virtues that you can learn from. This is excellent. Sometimes people involved in spiritual movements can be some of the least virtuous people. So don't depend strictly on someone's point of view on spirituality to determine whether or not they're going to be a good influence on you. The best way to find out if someone is a good influence in your life is to meditate on the experiences that you have with them and to see if there's someone who is really helping you to cultivate your own character and your own integrity or there's someone that is constantly dragging you into problems and negative states of being. There's a careful distinction there. If somebody makes you angry, that doesn't necessarily mean they're a bad person. It could mean that you just need to see your anger and that person's really helping you to see your anger. This could be a good thing. So meditation will reveal the truth. But especially, I cannot stress enough that your intimate relationships with people, your romantic relationships should be with people that you consider uh, morally sound, ethical people, people who are living an ethical lifestyle. The choice to have a sexual relationship with someone, which is considered by the law and by nature as a marriage, whether or not we call it a marriage, is a powerful connection to that person, which will have ramifications for future lifetimes. So the quality of the person that you have a relationship with is really essential to determining the future lifetimes that you will have. So if you're serious about overcoming suffering and elevating your level of being and your consciousness, you may have to make some hard choices about who you choose not to have in your life. Sometimes this means that you have to love people from a distance. We may have friends who we care for, but who we know are not particularly good influences on us. So if we have friends who are perhaps always inviting us to bars and clubs, we could invite them to do something like go for a hike in nature or do something that is less negative, or we may just have to distance ourselves from them. This doesn't mean to lose compassion towards them, but rather just to create an environment that is more conducive for our spiritual work. Obviously, this is a very personal decision, and none of us can tell you how to cultivate your own relationships. This should be something that you are continually reflecting upon, meditating on, and asking for guidance from your inner divinity. Because it can be very difficult to lose relationships, but in the long run, if we have relationships that are really draining us energetically, and bringing us into bad behaviors, and we really don't want to live that way anymore. By changing our own level of being, by changing our behaviors, we can attract relationships that will guide us into the direction that we have consciously chosen to go. So just be conscious of your environments that you're traveling into, and be conscious of your relationships that you have with other people. It's important when you're thinking about protecting yourself. Finally, circling back to that original quote, our greatest enemy, our greatest danger to ourselves 
is our own mind, is our own ego. We need to create a lifestyle of spiritual protection. The conjurations, the incenses, and the mantras, these are great tools for us to use. But what's most important in determining the circumstances of our lives is our karma. Karma is cause and effect. Whatever we do today, we will reap tomorrow. If you are practicing black magic, if you are going around trying to manipulate and confuse other people, trying to exert your own will on other people to get them to behave how you want them to, trying to dominate others to gain their respect or force others to think the way that you think, even if it is about gnosis or about spiritual topics and you think that you are benefiting the other person, this is harmful. This is black magic. We must respect the free will of all people. If we are abusing others, this is the number one sign that we ourselves will attract that type of manipulation from other nefarious entities. So be careful about the way that you're living your life. Are you living ethically with remembrance of divinity? At the end of your day, ask yourself that question. How did I live today? Did I remember my divine mother? Did I remember my being? Did I live in a way with consciousness of what I was doing? Am I learning from my mistakes? Am I truly seeking to be virtuous and to sacrifice for others? This is the best protection we can ever have. When someone is angry at you, when they are insulting you, and when you take in those impressions and you transform those impressions into understanding of the pain and suffering of the other person, then you respond with sweetness, with kindness, and with love. You have protected yourself from that anger. And who knows, you may have radically transformed that situation into a very positive relationship with the other person. So the best tool that we have is to be conscious, to be aware, to transform our situations. How do you respond to life's events? If life's events come at you and you have a lot of negativity about them, you have a lot of negativity about other people, meditate on that. Of course, we all need to start where we're at. And it's not good to just repress your negativity and pretend to be kind to everyone. You should act kindly to everyone. And then if you are feeling like being unkind, meditate on what is causing that. Is it anger? Is it jealousy? Is it lust? What's driving your response to life's events? You should be less concerned and identified with what is going on outside of us and more concerned with what is happening inside of our psychological world. How are you feeling, thinking, and behaving toward other people? To conclude, I'll say that we have a duty to protect ourselves. If we're really working on this path, it's because we believe that there is a way to really serve God and help humanity in the process. And so, when other entities try to seduce us, to manipulate us, to attack us, we have a right to protect ourselves and we have a duty to protect ourselves because the work that we're doing at this time is very important. Many, many people are suffering and the work that we are doing to become better human beings, 
to connect with divinity, to follow the will of God, the guidance that we're receiving internally is very important because as we see every day on the news, this planet is going through an intensifying period of suffering. So the more that we are doing to preserve our covenant with God and to work with the three factors, to strengthen our consciousness, to live ethically, to follow the guidance of our own inner divinity, the better it will be for us, for everyone around us, and for humanity as a whole. So take spiritual protection seriously and do what you can. But most importantly, know that by purifying your own mind through daily meditation and following God's guidance and comprehension, that is the best protection that you can have. At this point, I will open it up for questions. Thank you for the lesson. Um, my question is with the sulfur, when you take a bath and or when you put it in your shoes, can you use it in your shoes every day? Yes. So what I, what I usually do is I put the sulfur directly in my shoe and then I put a sock on. Um, however, my husband puts it directly into the sock. I will say, though, if you wash your laundry, try to wash the sulfury socks separate so that all your clothes don't end up smelling like sulfur. Then how much? I just use a pinch in my socks. Um, okay. When you take a sulfur bath, you can use, again, just a pinch. If you feel like you're quite dirty, um, then you might want to add a little bit more, but it doesn't take a lot. Um, can you use that with your hands? You can just pinch it with your hands? Yes. Yeah. So. Okay. To touch it with your skin is fine. You just don't want to burn it and breathe the smoke in. That's when it's toxic. That's a great question. Okay, cool. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for asking. Okay, so the first question is, what is your advice or experience with salons, such as massages or waxing salons? Personally, I do find that it's challenging to find a place where you feel that it's a good person cutting your hair or touching your body, uh, especially with massage. People can definitely steal energy through massage, through touching you. In general, if you feel that someone around you may be trying to steal energy from you, don't let them touch you, especially don't let them touch your back, your spine. That can be a way that people, black magicians can steal energy. So yes, you have to be cautious with this. I have been able to kind of feel out different places and find places where I think the individual is, you know, at least a decent person. But if you go to a place and you feel very uncomfortable, then yes, you should probably not go back. I know um, my husband in particular doesn't advise massages, but let's say that you have an injury and massage therapy is going to be helpful for you. Just look around to find someone that you don't get a bad feel from is my advice. I know that's still a little vague, but really the longer you've been practicing, you might have a better sense of people's energy. Would having a pentagram at my door prevent demonic or possessed persons from gaining entrance? There's unusual smell that comes about once or twice a week now for a month. It comes with headaches and pain elsewhere, but it goes away when I do the conjurations. Could this be a spiritual attack? Yes, it could be a spiritual attack, especially if it's going away when you're doing conjurations. That can be a sign that there's some kind of entity or um, 
attack going on there. So again, protecting your home in the ways that we talked about can be really important if it's come if this smell, this entity is coming into your home. Physically, a person may still be able to come into your home if they're a possessed person and you have a pentagram at the door. But energetically, it's going to prevent those demonic and possessed people from gaining entrance. The um the the sword when you said to to go in a circle, does it matter the direction of the circle? You know, so, in your room. Yeah. So usually I would visualize so a flaming sword. Yeah. Yes. I would visualize the circle around the floor, you would want to go clockwise. So if you're visualizing that circle being drawn around the floor of your room, then you would mentally visualize that circle being drawn clockwise, or you would spin clockwise around the room. So turning towards your right around the room in that way. Oh, if you are using your imagination, do you point? If you don't have a sword or just your imagination is fine, just envisioning a flame, is that what you do you can, when you go around? You can point. In fact, um, if you'd like to use the pentagram with your hand, what you can do is you raise your hand, you raise your thumb, index, and middle finger up, representing the three upward points of the star, and you would put your ring finger and your pinky finger facing downwards. And using this pentagram, you can reach out and draw the circle as you would with a sword or a blade. However, if you're in a position where you can't physically draw that because maybe other people are in the room, then absolutely you can imagine a point of light with your imagination moving around the room and creating a flaming circle or a circle of light, circle of protection around the room. You don't need to physically point in that case. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Okay, let's see. I've got a few more here in the chat. For egg cleanses, does it matter the source of the egg? For example, a native egg or a GMO egg? I'd say with most things, we try to go with a more natural or organic egg. But in this case, um, whatever egg you're able to get a hold of should be okay. Is there a video on how to properly consecrate a pentagram? No, there's not. So you, just, you simply have to read the article. The article here in answers regarding home and altar, that's going to list, I think, five or six different articles. For example, one about the Eucharist. One of them will be about pentagrams and how to consecrate a pentagram. We have also had that question on the forum. And so you can log into the forum and read about that question as well. And, you know, if there's a certain point about that that you're not sure, then you can also log onto the forum and check. If I am being attacked and I ask an elemental if it is in alignment with divine will to heal the attacker, is that considered black magic? No. We can do healing rituals. As long as we have a center of compassion, then any conjuration, in a sense, is a healing ritual. If we're conjuring someone who is attacking us and we are really trying to reject the negative forces in them, we're really conjuring their ego, not their soul, so to speak. So we're really trying to help them. But this, again, shouldn't be done in a way that has a lot of hate. 
I do not feel I have any enemies or anyone out to harm me that I'm aware of. Should I still take all of these precautions? Also related, are there groups of black magicians who are attacking the general populace? If so, how common are these groups? Okay, with the first question, I would say yes. And be conscious of if you notice a difference. If you take these precautions and you do notice that you feel a little bit more energized or more, more conscious of yourself, less susceptible to your own vices, then that could be a sign that there might have been some energy being drained away from you that you just weren't aware of. In addition, you know, the cleanses are good for everyone. I would say trying to do a sage cleanse at least once a week or some form of cleanse once a week if you can, uh, at the least, because in our world, anywhere we go, we're, we're probably picking up astral larvae. And so it's good to do that to protect ourselves. Are there groups of black magicians who are attacking the general populace? Yes, in fact, you know, a common example of black magic is advertising, right? We're trying to uh, get others to agree with our will. We want someone to buy our product, not because it will help them, but because we want their money. We see black magic all the time in cinema and on television in many places when we see sexual degeneration or pornography, things like that. That's all tapping into the entire population's energy. And so I, I think we can see that it's pretty abundant in our society. Right now, the Black Lodge has a lot of power in the physical world. Uh, this isn't a need for us to suddenly be afraid and paranoid all the time, but to just be aware that the work that we do to keep ourselves pure and to not try to manipulate and control others, and also to think for ourselves to follow our own inner conscience, our own connection to divinity is very important because there's not many people in the world you can trust. You know, even Samuel and Vior said, don't follow me. I'm just a signpost. What we're trying to teach in this tradition is really to be reliant on your own inner divinity. But in order to connect with one's inner divinity, we have to strengthen that connection through the practices and the steps that um, we've outlined in many courses. So are we not our own best pentagram? <laughs> so yes, the human body is the shape of the pentagram. And when we do the microcosmic star, which is linked spiritual protection with the microcosmic star right there, that video, you can see exactly how to make a pentagram with your own body. <clears throat> so not mentioning cemeteries. Um, this is an interesting question. So sometimes cemeteries, because of the corpses and the decaying bodies, can attract a lot of astral larvae and negative influences. Um, certain groups do practices of black magic in cemeteries. They can just be not good places to hang out. However, of course, if we have a loved one in a cemetery and we'd like to go see them and leave some flowers, you know, that's a very personal decision. I, I just mean maybe not hanging around in them and using the sulfur in your shoes and purifying yourself afterwards, that can be a good practice. I've had the, my job and been at work like usual and things were changing and I know people are suffering and it's things kept escalating and I kind of had this little emotional meltdown at work because I started feeling like 
they were going to come and get me and try to force me to take a vaccine. Yeah. You know, like I started really freaking out about it. And my sister's really into all the conspiracy theories. And it's not that I don't believe it, but I generally don't let it get to me. But I kind of, some people were laid off. And then I was thinking, oh my God, this is really going, I mean, this is really serious, you know, like, not that I didn't think it was serious, but I didn't so much take the... It's hitting close to home now. Yeah, I mean, I just, it's hitting close to home. Yes, that's true. And and that's the one thing I ju- that kind of sends me over the edge. And I'm just wondering, out of all the things that you mentioned, when you start spiraling out of control, like nothing does it for me better than the thought of like, can you imagine having a world where you can your body which is your vehicle to go back to divinity is is you know ruined because uh, they're forcing you to take things that are toxic like that have mercury in them or aluminum that can ruin your neurological functions you know yeah. like, so well and Samuel and Vior said that you know vac- certain vaccines destroy the internal bodies so this is a oh, popular yeah. question we've been getting this on the forum lately Oh, really? Yeah. Our our best advice on the vaccines question is sometimes you have to accept a lesser evil over a a greater evil. Ideally, none of us would want to take the vaccines that have been contaminated, but in many cases, it would be impossible for you to get a job or, you know, if there's a public health requirement for us to protect the community, we have to accept vaccines. So, regardless of our personal beliefs, we have to make a difficult choice there. Um, Are we going to be able to support our livelihood depending on your profession? Are you able to avoid vaccines because your profession allows that or not? Because sometimes through our jobs, we do a lot of good for humanity and it would be worse for us to kind of selfishly avoid the vaccine and then lose our opportunity to serve. You know what I mean? But that doesn't mean that if we do choose to avoid vaccines, that there aren't other ways that we can serve. It's a very personal choice. But that's our best advice we've given so far. To me, this is like a frontal black magic attack if I've ever seen one. It's a good point that you're bringing up here because I think um, as, as we see more and more of this, we see that sentiment going around in society. Many people are confused, what am I supposed to believe? And um, especially with politics and things like that. Uh, This goes back to the earlier question about, are there groups of black magicians really out there trying to attack the populace? So we can see that many of the structures in our society are centered around money, power, sex, all of these ways that people are continually manipulated. And in response to your question, I don't think that any situation or any crisis on this planet is unaffected by ego. The egos of people in power, the egos of people oppressed, the egos of everyone caught in the middle. So we have to be really conscious of ourselves because while we go out there and we try to do the right thing, if we become consumed with negativity about what the people in power are doing or all of these other horrible things that are going on, we become unable to help anyone. 
I myself am a pretty sensitive person. And there are many times when I weep at the state of humanity and how much pain and suffering is going on. And all of that we know has its root in ego. And until we can address the root of ego within ourselves, we will not be able to overcome ego as it manifests in our societies and in our civilization. So first we have to conquer ourselves and that can be very difficult. Sometimes it's easier to point the finger and to get upset with the way that others are behaving, but it's most important and most useful to start changing ourselves. And then we will cultivate more power and more consciousness to be able to uh, make a change in society. And so I am by no means trying to blame anyone for getting upset with the way that things are on this planet. It is the worst on this planet that it has ever been. Even in past root races, like in Atlantis and Lemuria, it was never as bad as it is now. We have become extremely materialistic, turned against the true divinity, so that even many religious institutions merely use divinity as a pawn for power. And they'll be able to really take Christ and betray Christ in that way. More than ever, it's important that we find a way to protect ourselves from our own negativity, from the negativity of the world, and each day be conscious of what good we can do and what good we can bring to others. With any type of controversy where we feel divided, who draws the line and who's right? God is right and God draws the line, and many times nature draws the line. So um, for us, like I said, it's most important that we focus on understanding in us what is causing our reaction to those situations. But uh, it's best not to seek a physical person to tell you what is wrong and what is right. When it comes to making your everyday decisions, yes, we try to make our best educated guess, but in terms of misinformation in the world, no matter which side of that debate that you fall on, there's a lot of misinformation. And even with the best intentions and the greatest intellectual knowledge, many people can really do a lot of harm because they're rooted in a very materialistic view of the world and the way that things work. Uh, science, unfortunately, has become dogmatic and, and quite separated from the spiritual aspect. And when we look just at the materialistic effects, the physical effects of certain things, we sometimes do not become aware of the internal energetic, emotional, mental, and spiritual effects of those processes. And so I advise you, whenever you have to make a personal decision based on a controversy, rather than watching hours of YouTube videos or reading lots of news pages or checking what your friends are writing on social media, the best thing to do is to meditate and ask your inner divinity to send you a dream or to send you a vision in meditation over the next few days uh, to guide you on that. Yeah, my question was like, like the issue of like believing like that you're right, because like, like you answered like my question a little bit earlier, but like you do like all this information, like going like on to searches and all those things, but then like you, what you really should do is like go meditate on it and go ask your inner divinity. But then like, that's like extremely difficult though, because you have like all these, you know, the aggregates in it that were like, of course. Just, like, yeah, it's just like, that's like a, you know, you're trying to kill that part of yourself. So do you have like, 
like I find it like sometimes it's easier like to write first and then like go into meditation and like try to like you know make it like a bit easier for myself because then like when you do meditation like you're kind of like just like jumping right off a cliff like it sort of speaks so I'm just like wondering like like for my issue right now would be like the mask issue and like so like I believe like the things like my side of view is right so like when you're like is it better like to sacrifice your point of view and just go like with other people on it or like how would you differentiate that oh that's a great question I'm so glad that you asked and um of course it's very difficult in the beginning so you're talking about being able to write out your ideas and I often do that I have a spiritual journal where I write down what I'm struggling with and it helps me to kind of clear my mind and calm myself down and see on paper uh, the different elements in me that are getting frustrated or upset and then entering meditation and reflecting on that so that's a great idea sometimes the noble thing to do is to sacrifice one's pride and to do what everyone else is doing. And sometimes the noble thing to do is to do what you know to be right in your heart and not go with the crowd. So of course, my advice to you is that only you can know what to do and none of us can give you advice, whether about wearing a mask or any other issue. I feel that it's most important for us, the ethical integrity of our action regardless of what we do what's most important is the quality of our heart if we are doing something out of fear or out of pride thinking we're smarter than others or out of you know on either side because everybody on one side says we're smarter than the people not wearing masks and then the people who are not wearing masks say we're smarter than the people who are wearing masks regardless of which side we fall on we have to recognize what's driving us. And that's something that we really only can find in meditation. So again, neither me nor any other physical person, whether in the news or YouTube or anywhere, can tell you what is the right action for you. But I will say that sacrifice, when we talk about sacrifice in this tradition, sacrificing of one's own ego is often painful. When Abraham went to the altar to sacrifice his son, Isaac, can you imagine the tremendous psychological and emotional struggle that he was going through to do that? But he knew that that was what his inner God had commanded to him, and he knew it to be right. Now, of course, at the last moment, he was spared from making that sacrifice. But when we sacrifice our own ego, in my experience, many times leading up to that action, can be very stressful and painful and hard but after the ego has been sacrificed feeling joy and relief and not understanding why that was so difficult to give a basic example let's say you're really mad at someone and you know from your meditation and in your heart that the right thing to do is to go and apologize to them for how you acted but you're mad and it would sacrifice your anger and your pride and what you think the other person should do for you if you went and apologized. So all the way leading up to that apology, you might really be struggling with pushing yourself, that self-control that I mentioned early on in the lecture, to do what is right, to overcome the temptation to be angry and to be cruel to this other person and to do what is right, to humble yourself and apologize. But after you've apologized and your friend smiles and hugs you and is happy, you see how that situation was really of no value, as Salman Bior says in his quote. 
and that overcoming your anger is such a greater gift than any action could ever be. So, you know, regardless of what physical actions we're taking, we need to be concerned with the psychological integrity. For what motive are you doing that action? I'm less concerned with what you do versus why you do it. If you are being driven by an ego, by a sense of self, which is a delusion and which is false, then that is probably a harmful action. But if you're being driven by your conscience, by your inner divinity, by doing what you know is right and beneficial for you and for others, then that's a positive action. What is astral larvae? Uh, so an astral larva is, I kind of described it as a little energetic bug. And in fact, you can see them in the astral plane. They look like grubs and bugs. And um, they can basically attach to you, your astral body, and suck energy out of you to feed themselves. So if you're in places that are filled with a lot of negativity, a lot of lust, a lot of greed, a lot of violence, these places would have a lot of these bugs sucking up the energy because that's what they get drawn to. And in places like that, which we call filthy, energetically filthy places, um, it's just a breeding ground for astral larvae. Since Gnostics strive to see objectively, can Gnostics be on different sides of an issue, like needing a vaccine, but also maybe needing a vaccine for our livelihood? Who draws that line and who's right? Of course. Of course we can be on different sides of an issue because as we are, we're striving to see objectively, but at this point, we are caught between our own ego and our own confusion. It's said that when the gods want to punish humanity, they confuse them. And that is exactly what we see. We ourselves feel very confused and our entire humanity is confused and arguing and fighting over many things. Some things which don't really matter and some things which seem much more consequential. But again, I want to refer back to this quote towards the beginning of the lecture. Remember that everything passes away. That's, that's the heart of it. Even as painful the suffering and the level of, of suffering on this planet right now, it will pass away. What we want to do is make sure that as we are living our lives and moving through it, we are taking this opportunity to take what's beneficial from a human existence. And that we can obtain by comprehending ourselves first. As we come to know ourselves, we will be able to then see more and more objectively the outside world. But as long as we are not aware of our own internal states, which can confuse and manipulate us, the illusions of our ego, then how can we cut through the illusions of the external world? On any issue that you feel divided on, you can meditate. See what in you is trying to control you. Are you being controlled by fear that does not want the vaccine, by pride that says, I'm smarter and I'm not going to fall for this trap? Or conversely, are you being manipulated by fear that says, I have to take this vaccine for my livelihood to be able to keep my job? Much of the time, it's fear. And so at the end of the day, what's going to be more important than whether we receive a vaccine or whether we don't receive a vaccine is going to be 
what have we done with the reaction that was created in us in response to that stimulus? So if the case is a vaccine or a certain take on what is going on with the uh, coronavirus in our world right now, use that circumstance not to try to make judgments about what's the truth in the outside world, but use it as a circumstance to see what is the truth of myself and can I use this as fuel for my own transmutation to become a wiser and better individual. So as I mentioned before, as horrible of things as the Black Lodge can do and is doing in our society and to us as individuals, what's much worse is our own state of slumber and delusion. And if we don't clean up our own mind, wake ourselves up and get rid of the illusions that are keeping us hypnotized and asleep, then we are sheep on the way to the slaughter, so to speak, in terms of any attacks from the Black Lodge. Thank you for the lecture. You're welcome. Um, I have two quick questions. The first is, I, while you were talking, I felt inspired and I drew two pentagrams from myself for the uh, bedroom and the altar. And I was just wondering, because you specified how to have the pentagram at the, at the bedroom door, is there a certain way to use it on the altar uh, it should be positioned or to use it? Yeah, just... that's, that's a great question. I can't believe I missed that. Thank you so much. Of course, um, when we position the pentagram above our bed or on the altar, um, we might pin it to the wall against or up right above the altar, for example, or prop it up on the altar. Um, mm -hmm. You can you want to make sure, that, again, that those two feet are facing down to the floor and that the top point is facing up to the ceiling, okay? Okay. Um, and then the other question was, in, in the Gnostic prayer book, um, I sometimes look at the healing prayers, and there's a, the exorcism of salt or that is performed. Yes. And uh, two things on that. One, because you had mentioned how, like, with the sword, you use your imagination and use the fiery sword in your room. Yes. Um, I, often I often use my imagination for the exorcism of salt. It seems like that's okay, but I was just making sure that, like, I don't have – do I need to go, like, put salt in a tray and get the alcohol and do it physically, or it's, can I do it in my imagination? Uh, it's best if you can do it physically. Of course, you know, fire indoors can be challenging for some people. I myself bought a small bronze pan that was relatively inexpensive where I can put a little bit of alcohol so that when I light the – the salt on fire that it doesn't get out of control but of course as i mentioned before i recognize that not all of these things are possible for everyone and when we do it with sincerity in our heart and our imagination that's better than than not doing the ritual at all if you understand what i mean mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and then, and then the, is there a certain type of alcohol i use rubbing alcohol okay okay cool thank you thank you actually reminded me of another point. If you, um, you know, my first altar, I wanted to put up some pictures of sacred images, uh, sacred masters that inspired me. And at the time, uh, being a very poor student, I actually went to the school library where I was able to print and printed off those images and just taped them up to the wall. So if there are ways like that, that you can find a way to make your home personalized and inspiring for you and really bringing divinity's presence into your home that can be great it doesn't have to be 
going all out and spending hundreds of dollars on these different steps that are mentioned. Just do what you can and bring your own soul into it because the soul has a beauty and an art to it that the mind could never have. Okay, so is there a link to nicer pentagram necklaces? No, unfortunately, but I will send you the email here, help at chicagonosis.org. Just email us and we will get that information to you if you're interested in the pentagram. To learn more about the knowledge covered in this lecture, we invite you to study the books available through Glorian Publishing or GnosticTeachings.org. You can also view free online courses, lectures, transcriptions, and articles available at ChicagoGnosis.org. All of this is made possible by the support of listeners like you. Have you benefited from this knowledge? Help others by making a tax-deductible donation at chicagonosis.org. We thank you for listening. We hope that these lectures aid you in developing your complete and divine potential. May all beings be happy. May all beings be joyful. May all beings be in peace. Thank you.